Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I want to thank Pastor Dave when I see him just for forcing you to clap for me. So I'm going to thank him for that. Always feels good to have some applause in your back pocket. Uh, it is great to be with you, and I want to encourage you, as he said, to open up that Bible if you have it on your phone or in the seat in front of you. There's even some in there if you didn't bring one with you to First Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 22. That's the passage that I'm speaking from this morning. And if I can be honest right up front, n- not my favorite passage in the Bible. Not, not a happy passage. I- I'm okay preaching it because I believe in all of God's Word, but... If I, if I could have made it say something different, I would have. <laughs> we'll get into that in just a moment, but if you would, just pray with me. I want to ask the Spirit one more time to be with us as we open His Word. Father, I thank You so much for who You are. Thank You for what You've done, and thank You for what You continue to do. Lord, we lift up this space and this time to You. We invite You to speak to us, speak through me today. God, we pray for Pastor David as he's off preaching in Rochester that you would also speak through him to that church there. We together honor you in this place. Help us to know you more as a result of today's time. Amen. Amen. Well, in 1995, yes, we're going all the way back to 1995. Who's with me? Who was alive in 95? All right, most of us. Not you youngsters. Well, if you were, you might remember something called a Ford Escort. Anybody remember the Ford Escort? I called it a Focus in the first service, and somebody kindly corrected me. They're like, no, it wasn't a a Focus in 95, Jeremiah. It was an Escort. So it was an Escort that my wife got, I want to tell you about this little car, for her birthday from her dad who lived in Texas. It was this super special moment. I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up in such a place where, nor do my kids growing up in such a place where they get a car for their 16th birthday. Um, but she was so blessed to be able to have it until she let me start driving it. Um, and I'll tell you that story in a minute, but I want to give Pastor Anthony a quick heads up to come on up here. If she's, where, you, where is she at? Is she hiding? Oh, there you are. Okay. I'm going to have her help me with something else in just a second. Pay no attention to the Antonia behind the screen. Um, so Tara, my wife, we started dating in high school. She gets this by the way, don't follow our example. Any of you, or if you're in high school and you're thinking about dating and then, oh, it's going to last forever. We're a statistical anomaly. Just happened that way. Wait till after college. Anyway, today's not about relationship advice from Jeremiah. So she gets this car and it's a standard shift. Anybody remember those? And the beautiful thing, if you don't remember standard shifts, how'd you like my, was that good? Uh, it's second service. You're in trouble. Anyway, all right, so um, standard shift means that, just for those of you who might not know, um, there's a a stick that you have to move, and then at the same time, push the clutch, and then at the same time, you let off the clutch, you push in the gas, and then push the stick into the right place. You're already confused? I know. So was I. So I was trying to learn how to do this. She had been taught by her dad that was good at it. He spent a lot of time with her, showing her how to do it properly, I didn't quite have the same liberty, so she let me drive the car, and every time I would try to put this shifter in the jammer, that's basically what would happen. I would push in the clutch, and I'd be like, and anybody remember that sound? Anybody know that sound, like, as you're trying to push it in? And then over time, a couple days went by, pretty soon I grabbed the shifter, and she's letting me do it again, because we're just crazy teenagers, and I'm like, nothing. And the car doesn't go anywhere. 
And I'm just like, I don't know what happened. Let's try it again. And I keep like trying it, but nothing's working. Some of you know what that means. Basically, I ruined her car. All right. And here's why I tell you this story. Not so that you can never trust me with your standard shift vehicle in the future. I did learn eventually, thank God. But so that you can hear the rest of the story just a little bit, because I think it, it's paralleled here in the scriptures we see for First Peter. See, Tara's dad gave her this car. She cared for it herself, and she needed to know how to use it, right? I get in the car. I don't know how to use it. It's the same car, but I don't know how to use it. Still hers, still a beautiful gift, but I jack it up because I don't necessarily know how to use it. He was gracious. He paid for the repairs of it, and he basically said, don't ever let that jerk drive your car again. He didn't say those words. He's great. Yeah, I love him. He's, uh, I love you, Paul. He, he might watch later. Thank you so much. He might not. Did he ever know that I did that? I don't know. He might be finding out right now. So thank you, Paul. Anyway, in the midst of Peter, as he writes this letter to the people um, that are called Christ's followers, essentially what he's doing is saying, hey, you've got this new car called salvation, life. Christ has brought us resurrection. You need to know how to drive it. You need to know what it's like to set the mirrors right, to change the rear view. Like when you live this life and when you suffer in this life, there's a way to change gears. There's a way to shift. And if you get it wrong, you're still in the car, but you're going to jack some stuff up. So stick with me here and help me by listening closely to what I have to share with you, and I being Peter, share with you what Christ taught me. And as you live this life, as you live this life together, and as you suffer for righteousness sake, there's a way to shift gears. There's a way to move forward that is smooth. And there's a way to move forward that's not. And we have the beautiful miracle of God's word kept for us that is able to help us understand what it means to live this new life. And also, unfortunately, this new way of suffering as well. So that's really the two big points of today's conversation is how do we live? Christ shows us this new way of living and honestly, this new way of dying. And that's what I mean when I say suffering is that Christ is showing us really what it means to die to ourselves and live for him. And Peter gives us a good explanation of that. So if I could sum the whole talk, thank you, Antonia, for your patience. I appreciate that. Um, It's always weird to be standing there while somebody else is talking and everybody's like waiting for me to put her to work, right? So thank you. So I get reading this verse, and I call Antonia after studying it, and I keep seeing this word harmony happening over and over, and I think, man, there's, we got to be able to demonstrate this. I'm an auditory learner. Anybody else in the room even know what that means? I, I like listening to audiobooks instead of reading them. I like hearing teaching rather than reading teaching. And so when I hear things, it somehow seems to click. And when I read this commentary that talked about really what Peter's doing here is he's talking about harmony among believers, right? Because the first section of this scripture is really about how we treat each other inside the church, how believers in Christ treat one another. Verse 8 actually says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So Peter is directing us to live in harmony with one another. So I see that word harmony coming up over and over again in the commentaries, and I think, what is this? So I do a little bit of a quick study on it, and I realize it's three notes or multiple notes together in one place successively that sound pretty. 
But then if you deconstruct that, you kind of see, oh, wait, I think there's something here. So if a note is each one of us individually, and the notes together, us individually coming together in unity as a chord, then there's this beautiful harmony that comes together when we work together in one accord. You with me? Some of you ain't got it yet. Some of you, you already got it. You're way ahead of I was. But I thought, hey, let's listen to what this sounds like, just for a moment. Humor us here. So, Anthony, I call her up on Friday. I'm like, what do you think of this? You know, every worship leader loves when somebody calls them on Friday and is like, hey, let's try something. She's gracious. She's gracious to me. So, I said, hey, can we try this? She said, yeah. So, can you, let's demonstrate this. Can you play three separate notes? Thank you. Beautiful, right? Oh, oh, that was nice. It's nice. I'm not going to sing with these, but notice each one of them beautiful, each one of them stands alone, each one of them uniquely made and part of a greater plan, right? You can hear them. You can hear the melody by themselves. But then when you put them together, they make a chord. Oh, it's a little bit deeper, a little bit more complicated, also a little bit more beautiful. Then if you put a chord together with other chords in progression... So the church, uh, right now I just feel, Father, I thank you for the harmony that you bring us into and through. Lord, I thank you that when we love one another, it's the song that we live that brings praise to your name. Help us, God, to lift up the hurting and to suffer with the suffering in a way that brings glory and praise to who you are. The type of thing Peter's talking about in his letter is this beautiful song that we get to live before God. Thank you, Pastor Antonia. Give it up for her. Thank you. See there, I just forced you to clap for somebody, but it's good stuff. Thank you. This new way of life is a way that Peter calls harmonious, but it's not easy. It's the way that is diverse. It's unique for each individual, but it's also together. We have the chance to not blend into the crowd as the body of Christ. When you come in here, we don't ask you, Pastor David doesn't say when you go through Discover Trinity, hey, okay, now you have to be just like everybody else who comes to Trinity. We want you to wear the same clothes, say the same things, believe the same things exactly, preach the same. Like it's different and unique in the way we interpret and understand life. And there's beauty in that. There's challenge in that. There's harmony in that. And so as we learn this new way of life, the first thing I want to point out is that it's in harmony. Secondly, it's in humility. I know there's a lot of different ways that humility uh, is is understood and pronounced. And I actually asked uh, a new friend, of one of the Orthodox priests in the area, just to get a different take on this. I said, what do you think humility is? You know, when, we, when Scripture talks about humility, how would you define it? And he said, oh, you thought about it for a second, Jeremiah. He said, I think humility is holding simultaneously in one hand my moral poverty or my sin, we could say. He said my moral poverty. And in the other hand, the never-ending goodness, love, and grace of God. 
And at the same time, wherever I go, remembering that those things are with me. I thought, man, that's great. That is great. I, uh, so I, I, I've heard that before, and it's this way that we walk that Peter encourages us to so that we know as we walk into this room or the, ro- the work room, wherever it might be, the, the living room, we have this idea of, man, I'm, I'm nothing without Christ, but I'm everything with him. And so we can walk with each other through that difficulty. Now, he also, Peter talks about this idea, and we, we hear it often, of doing life together. And I want to say that doing life together isn't just about dinner parties and small groups at church, right? Because Peter says, have compassion. And compassion, the Latin root of compassion, inside of this idea of humility, is really with pain. So the the first part of it, that compassion, calm is with, and passion, the original Latin is patai, pain. Walking with people in this room, doing life together means I feel your pain. I feel your pain and I'm willing to sit with you in it and be present with you. Peter's calling the believers to a new way of life together that hurts. And thirdly, with honor. He calls us to this new way of life with honor and he says, Live in a way that honors Christ by honoring one another. And you can see this throughout Scripture. And the goodness of God in his servants is seen through the respect that we show to each other, through the honor that we give to another. Some, we give, I'm, a, I'm a simple application guy. I need things just laid out for me, right? I like to get instructions in a, in a contrary to the stereotype for the male gender, I like reading instructions before I'm putting things together. And I put things together according to the instructions, or at least I try to. And so, instructions. What if honor is simply holding a door for somebody? What if honor is a handshake with eye contact? What if honor is simply asking somebody for advice? By saying to them, hey, you've been here before, you have insight that I don't have, can, I, can you help me with this? Asking for help sometimes is a great way to honor someone. Resisting the temptation to be arrogant and prideful and think I know it all, but to ask and seek help from someone. Lots of different ways, simple instructions on how to do so. Maybe it's even assuming positive intent for someone instead of negative. I know maybe I'm the only one who does this, but I start thinking, oh, they meant to do that. Maybe as the parking lot fills up as the holiday season comes in, they knew I was going to take that spot, and they know that's my spot. What are they doing? Assume positive intent. What if it's the first time they've ever been to church and they didn't know that was your spot? What if, oh, you want my seat? Yeah, go ahead, take it. Yeah, it's all yours. We'll scooch in. Is scooch a word? I don't know. It is for me. Honor. He says, esteem one another with high positive regard. Honor one another. You see, in Christ, we learn how to live together in a suffering community. As we look at Jesus, he shows us each step of the way what it means to live together and to suffer together. And in the new way of suffering, and here I just want to say this right up front, Scripture doesn't teach us that suffering gets easy. It's like a cold plunge. Every time you do it, it stinks. It's freezing. It's suffering is this moment where we walk through it. And some people have, I think, misunderstood Christian understanding to be like, oh yeah, suffering, if you believe God makes it into good, the suffering itself is good. So you should be happy while you suffer. I don't think so. 
And, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself here, and this is kind of where I would go when I was talking at first. I don't like this. I don't like that Peter wrote in, that you will suffer for righteousness' sake. I'm not a fan of that. I'm not a fan of the fact that he was right. And let me just say this, by the way, as we talk about the brutality of suffering, and I'm not going to get into the details. I don't think this is the right place for it. But he's writing to a people that are under persecution of an emperor Nero. And Pastor Dave mentioned Nero last week, and I think it's appropriate as we talk about who Peter's writing to. We're talking about a group of people who are following Christ who are now being blamed by the emperor for many different things as a scapegoat for his own malfunctions and are being put to death in ways that are atrocious. The history books would tell us things that are not, that I'm not even comfortable reading, let alone saying in a space here. They're going through that as Peter writes the words, do not return reviling for reviling. They're going through that when, when he writes the words, when you're brought before them, have an answer for your faith. He doesn't say, run away before you can have a moment to be brought before them. He says, when you're brought before them, when you're identified as a Christian, have an answer for your faith. He says, face it and be ready and be courageous. It's brutal. But in that brutality, there's a blessing. And hear me, I'm not saying, oh, suffering feels good now. All right? And, I, and I, just for the sake of kind of clarity, a couple years ago, you might have heard me tell the story. My brother was in a pretty bad accident, a car accident, and it wrecked my world. I think I was a Christian hedonist until that point. I was just in it for what God could give me and bless me with. I thought, man, I feel good being a Christian. I feel good going to church. I was, an, I was a pastor, a youth pastor at a local church, and it took incredible suffering and pain for me to realize my malfunction when I looked at God was really, I just want good things from you. Until one bad day happened and my world came apart. And I thought, oh, if, if this is what I get following you, I'm not sure I want to follow you. So I'm just being real. Can I do that? Suffering stinks. And it's taken me a while to figure out what it means to walk with God and bear into the suffering that he calls us to walk into. Some of you know what that means, and I wish you didn't. Some of you know what it means at a deeper level than anybody around us can understand. But the good news is that God says, when you walk through suffering in the way I'm calling you to, I will turn my face toward you. Now think about that. The, the God that created all things, the, the Lord of lords, the heavenly host, the one who commands angels in all the universe, turns his face toward you when you return good for evil. When you choose to walk as Christ did to the place of suffering and say, forgive them, God, forgive them. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. He turns his eyes toward you. And I believe like we can feel the rays of the sun at the noonday. We can feel his presence and his power on us when we're in the midst of suffering and we choose to look to him instead of to vengeance or to retaliation. Instead of sharing the suffering with others, instead we share healing with others. When we choose to do that, as Peter teaches us in this text, I don't like that this is how we get there, but we get there in a place of Christ-like 
love towards those who persecute us. Now, when we think about this idea of persecution, we think about like people hating us on Instagram or social media, right? Or maybe having to like go to some kind of training at work that we disagree with. Oh, you're persecuting me. Legit. I get it. I get it. Peter's writing to people that are about to be crucified and killed because they are proven to be Christians. And by the way, the Christianity evidence of their lives is not what they say online. It was how they were living in community with each other. The evidence that he says to have when you're brought on trial was not a really good understanding of 1 Peter 3, 8 through 22, or a really good understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. Though that was important, the evidence for them being Christ followers were the fact that they showed up together and loved one another in community, and that they followed and prayed and and saw and proclaimed Jesus' name. That was the evidence. So when they had an answer, it was their lifestyle in court. In the midst of that, there was a renewed blessing. God's eyes turned towards them. Finally, in the midst of this suffering that we see in Christ, and can I, let me back up a second. Before we go on to the finally moment, I know you guys are, you know, you're with me. Thank you. But before we get there, courage in the face of suffering is not what we call now grit, right? Like I've heard TED Talks on grit and how important it is to be like tough and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to muscle through this. I'm going to stand in the face of fear. You know, I've heard this thing, courage is, you know, it's not, not being afraid. It's having fear and standing in the midst of it anyway. Anybody ever heard that? Like, yeah. You know what that is? That's me. That's pride. That's me going, I can do this. I'm going to have courage. When people come to my door, knock on it. Are you a Christian? Yes, I am a Christian. And I'm Jeremiah. You can put me to death for it. Because I am great. That's that kind of courage. That's not the kind of courage that the Scripture talks about. The Scripture talks about courage that is gentle and kind. The Scripture talks about courage that says, I am a believer in Jesus Christ, the one who holds all the power over everything. Do what you may to me. I trust Christ alone. It's not me, it's him. That's courage. It's not me, it's him. So when Peter calls the people that are called Christ followers to take courage in the midst of this difficulty, he's pointing all the time to Jesus. He's not saying to them, be strong, Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You're going to be okay. Toughen up. He's saying, keep looking at the cross. Keep looking at the beauty of Christ. Keep looking to him because he is the one that holds the keys to death and hell and everything in between. And that takes us to him rolling it backward, this final point. And with that, I'm going to ask Pastor Antonia to come up and as we wrap up. Jesus rolls suffering backward. And this is my favorite part of the gospel, honestly. Now I get to my, my favorite part. You heard about the parts I hate with the suffering. <laughs> Just hate it. I hate death. Death is not normal, by the way. I don't know. Has anybody ever had somebody die and you're like, yep, expected that. Good. And I don't mean like, yes, you knew they were sick for a long time. But there's always this latent sense of like, ugh, it's just not supposed to be that way. Yeah, you're right. It's not supposed to be that way. God created us to be with him forever and eternity. I hate death. I'm not afraid to say it. I know we have to go through it to get new life, but I hate it. 
And the good news is Jesus rolled death backward. He rolled suffering backward. He actually went to the cross and grabbed a hold of death and put it under his feet and stomped on its head, right? And he said, hey, death, you're mine now, and you're going to serve my purposes. And from this point forward, this suffering, this death that I now own is going to redeem the world. And in putting death to death, he took suffering with it and rolled it backwards so that when we walk through suffering, it's a pointer to eternity. It helps us to see the absence of the goodness that is yet to come. So when you suffer, which you will, when you suffer for the things you did good and when you suffer for the things you did bad, which you will, if you haven't yet, promise you will, one's easier than the other, but they're both stinky. Focus your eyes not on your own ability to get through it, but on the one who took you through it at the cross. See him as the beauty. See him as the harmony in eternity and sing your life with him in unison with his song so that as the suffering happens and it is horrible, in the midst of that, you can be reminded that he rolled it backward. One commentator said it better than I ever could. Um, Jesus, through his own life and death and then his resurrection, declares to us that he has rolled back the power of suffering onto itself. And though these bodies will still see corruption here in this world, we can be sure and confident that he sits in victory and authority over all principalities, all powers, all authorities, and in all places for all people for all time. If you remember nothing from today's conversation, please hear me say this. We take courage in Christ's victory over sin, evil, and death. We walk together with one another through our pain, and we say, look at Jesus. If you would stand with me, I want to pray and as we wrap up, I want to invite you to respond to this word in whatever way you need to. We're going to sing a song together. If that's where you need to go with this response, you can sing it. If you need to drop on your knees and just thank Jesus for being with you, great. If you just want to sit silently and, and reflect on this word, go for it. No wrong way here. But Father, we come before you knowing that you have a plan and a purpose for every note in this room. Every heart, every mind, everybody in this room was made as a masterpiece by you with a purpose and a plan. And God, I ask you, as we lean into your word, help us to be made in your image as we walk forward by your grace. Amen.